Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 5? And while you're turning there, I was thinking this morning how 21 years ago today, on the morning of September 11, 2001, as a young boy, I woke up from a dream. And in the dream, I saw American soldiers going to war in a desert. And I woke up that morning and I asked my dad, why do we have an army? And he explained why we have an army in this nation to my little kid self. And I tried to understand it. But I remember it was the first time that the Lord visited me in a dream. Because if you know, on September 11, 2001, we were attacked by evil terrorists, and then the world was shortly thereafter at war. And America's response in the Middle East cost us many lives and many lives overseas, and the world has been in sort of an upheaval since then. It's been a, a very interesting journey. My comments are not meant to be political, but rather spiritual to say that before God does something, He communicates with His people. And before something happens, the Lord oftentimes lets us know to prepare us. So I was thinking about the um, marriage today for me and my own walk and how I woke up as a kid and saw the world at war, saw the United States soldiers in a desert fighting somewhere, couldn't conceptualize it, but then they flew the planes into the towers just hours later that morning and how the Lord has been indicating and communicating something here for us. How many of you heard the language about a new wineskin? Surely you haven't missed it. We've been talking about it here for over a month. We've been trying to respond to the Lord. We've been seeking God for His heart and asking Him basically, what do you want us to do? Because Jesus is the head of our Father's house. He's the head of the body. He's in total control. To put it plainly, whatever he says goes. Because we fear the Lord above all else. So Aaron Molesky is here. It's July 24th. During the worship, I had a vision from the Lord. And all I saw was Aaron up here and I knew that he was prophesying. So I go back to Aaron and I say, hey man, no pressure I felt like the Lord gave me a vision of you sharing something. I just want you to know that if God gives you something, be faithful to share it. He said, okay, bro, thanks. I think we gave a fist bump. And then about 25 minutes later, he comes up to the front and he prophesies this word on July 24th. I'm going to read it to you to remind you. He says, our father's house, you are stepping and being invited into a new era. Moses was asked to take his sandals off and be barefoot before the Lord, holy ground. Moses was tending to his father-in-law's sheep when there was a disruption of God's presence. Would you say disruption? Some of you are faithfully stewarding what God has given you. You are following in the family, whether that's a spiritual family or your blood family. You've stewarded that well in this season. But there's a disruption of the Lord that is coming in a greater way. The disruption is to call you into a new season, a season where the Lord has ordained for you not just to continue on in the old. 
I believe that as you are pressing in, as you're pressing into Jesus, as you're pressing in to deeper intimacy, it is the very heart, the very thing that God wants for you and for us. And he wants it just because he loves you. There's something more the Lord wants for our Father's house. There's a whole new era the Lord wants you to step in. And the only way that you can do that is when you take your shoes off. Take off the old ways and step into the new of what I'm doing. And I will deliver you and your family. And I will deliver nations. Our Father's house. There's an era the Lord wants you to step into. And it's easy here it's already been said just turn aside just turn aside then he prays so father may we not become complacent God may we lay our rods and our authority back before you again may we lay our dreams and our plans back before you again may that fear fall before you again just like Moses who knew his calling stepped away for a season and then God the fire of your presence burned the fear away and he was able to step into the fullness of who he was in Christ and the fullness of his calling to see the nation transformed by you so father i bless this house i thank you for this house i thank you for the fire that's already burning this house is a burning bush for this community this house is a burning bush for this community but lord as we gaze upon you would you send us out would you send us out with the holy spirit and fire in Jesus' name does that stir your spirit Listening to that. So we have a responsibility to respond to the word of the Lord. When God speaks, if we're going to treat prophecy rightly, which I'm aware for some of us, you've never really been around prophetic ministry in your life. You're used to either the hokey-pokey, mamby-pamby, weirdo stuff, or you're used to a general, hey, you know, it's a, it's a very uh, general word of encouragement. But this is a revelatory word from the Lord where God, by His Spirit, through the mouth of His prophet, is communicating something to this house. And if we're a spiritual house, then we have to have the right response before the Lord. Father, what does this look like and what do you want? So we have been on a journey now since that was prophesied as a leadership team of fasting and praying and seeking the Lord and asking God, God, what do you want? What is it that needs to change? What is it that we can give you more of? Because here's the deal. We just want to be faithful to what Jesus is calling us to do. If you don't know, we started in our living room. We were worshiping God, preaching His Word, allowing the Lord to move and do His thing. And we have been on a journey, and we don't fully know where we're going, but we know who's going with us. And that brings a lot of peace and a lot of comfort to us. So we begin to wrestle with the Lord. We begin to grab hold of the language of a new era, a new wineskin. Oh Lord, what might this look like? We begin to search the scriptures because anytime God speaks prophetically, it will be backed up in the word of God. Let me tell you something. Prophecy is not quoting scripture. You have people that have reduced prophetic ministry to expository preaching. That's a lie. 
The prophetic is the active rhema word of the Lord in the moment that begins to speak. And when God is declaring what he wants for the church, again, we have a responsibility to yield. But we go to the word of God always as the foundation because this is the objective revelation of who God is. In other words, this is unchanging. This is infallible. There are no errors within it. God didn't make any mistakes in this book. Someone say amen. Amen. So the word of God is our foundation. And then God speaks and he actively declares. And it must line up with his character and his nature. So anybody that tells you God is speaking, but it's not a match and it's not congruent with the character of God as revealed in scripture, you can feel peace in your heart about totally rejecting that word. How about the woman who comes to me and says, the Lord is leading me to divorce my husband. Has your husband been unfaithful? No, I'm just not in love anymore. Wrong answer. Now we're talking about the word of God. Because the scripture says that God hates divorce. And that the Lord gave it because of the hardness of our hearts. But marriage is to be held in honor among all. So if you made a covenant before the Lord and you put his name on it, then he's going to give you grace to sustain it and to see it through. This is where the word of the Lord has to match the word of God. Are you with me? So we're stirred by Aaron's word. We're praying, we're seeking, we're wondering, we're putting it before God. And then something interesting happens. Now listen. I'm not one to find God in every number and every coincidence. And you got people that they're like, man, a a little blue jay came in with a piece of twine. And it may, I'm like, okay, man. Like, if God speaks to you and that leads you closer to Christ, fantastic. But again, we're trying to navigate. We believe God speaks, but we're not going to lose our minds. Amen. The word of God says, come and let us reason together. You have people that they slap God said on it and people feel like they can't question them when the reality is the word says, do not despise prophetic utterances. This is 1 Thessalonians 5. Don't despise prophetic utterances. Don't put out the Holy Spirit's fire. And then it says, examine everything and hold fast to that which is good. So we have to receive the word of the Lord when it comes. We have to partner with him. But the word of God should be tested in what he's saying. Father, is this you? So we press and we pray and we press and we pray. And then the following Sunday, July 31st comes. And something interesting happens. We have a whoopsie with our live stream. We run live stream through a program called Pro Presenter. And Pro Presenter, for some reason, mysteriously, will not work. Now, I'm not a tech guy, so you couldn't get me to figure it out. But we have faithful people that are volunteering, and God bless you so much. Thank you. But Pro Presenter won't work, and we can't figure it out. Why isn't the live stream working? This is very strange. And we keep looking into it and looking into it. And when they tell me the next day, hey, here's what happened, it's like I get chills all over, and I'm like, wow, I hear God in that. What happened to Pro Presenter? They said, well, we downloaded a new version. We updated. 
But the old version somehow didn't get deleted. And the old version and the new version were running simultaneously together, causing the whole thing to shut down. And in the moment, I was like, wow, there it is. So we're trying to step into a new season. We're trying to come into a new era. But the old is still running alongside. And there are things that we need to shut down and close out in order to step into a new season fully and completely. So I heard the Lord in, and we have all these provocations here during worship. People prophesying. Did you hear Rosalie this morning? It's time, it's time, it's time. Basically to grow up in God. It's time to get serious about your walk with Jesus. It's time to function as the Lord has ordained. Listen, a healthy church has a sense of urgency to it. If you don't have a sense of urgency about your walk with the Lord, something is seriously wrong with your approach. But I find when you walk with a sense of urgency, you make sleepy people mad. When you walk with hunger for God, you upset people that think they've already arrived. When we began our father's house, I had such a fire and a passion in my heart. I was like, man, let's go tell people that there's more of God. There's more. See, I have a mandate on my life to preach the gospel to the lost and preach the Holy Spirit to the saved. Because there are a lot of people in this region that are saved, but they're not filled with the Holy Ghost. They're actually afraid of the ministry of the Holy Spirit because they've been taught doctrines of demons and they've been told speaking in tongues is of the devil and prophecies fake and healing is a joke and it's all a sham when it's the power of God. Be careful now that you're not criticizing what God is doing in the earth and you're on the wrong side of eternal history. Let's go tell people there's more. There's more. And what I found is you tell people there's more and they get mad. They say, no, 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 no. We have it all. We know it all. We've seen it all. We've experienced it all. We really, really, really know God. And to suggest that there might be more that the Holy Spirit wants to do actively in our lives is offensive to people who are sleeping. And God is awakening us as a body. He's stirring this spiritual family to have eyes locked on the Lord. So pro presenter shuts down. The old, the new, running together, we keep seeking, we keep fasting. If you don't know, we meet as a leadership team at least twice a month for three to four hours every time we gather. We talk, we pray, we discuss, we encourage one another in the Lord. We try to listen for God. We try to function together as a unit where unity and clarity are at an all-time high. And I'm telling you what I'm sharing this morning, we are in 100% agreement about that this is God. And if we don't step forward into the new era, then we we're going to be in sin. And I don't want to be in sin before the Lord because I'll tell you something. I fear God more than I fear anyone else. Look at Luke 5. I want to draw out a concept and I'll tell you what we believe the Lord is saying. I hope I got you on pins and needles at this point. Tell us. Just be patient. Luke 5. Let's start in verse 36. And Jesus was also telling them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. 
Otherwise, he will both tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wishes for new, for he says, the old is good enough. Now Jesus talks about new wine and new wineskins in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But that last verse, that last comment that Jesus makes in Luke 5.39 is peculiar only to Luke where he says, No one after drinking old wine wishes for new, for he says, The old is good enough. Can I tell you this is the problem in our lives and in the church where we become satisfied with what the Lord has done and then when we're satiated we become fat and happy and lazy and dull and stagnant and stale and we stop pressing and we stop reaching and we stop growing and we say I've experienced enough we say the old wine is good enough we don't want the new wine what we have is working what I'm doing has some breakthrough to it do you know what breakthrough is the enemy of real transformation you can come out of a total lifestyle of depravity and stop, let's say, the big sins, but never fully get conformed to the ways of Christ in your attitudes, in your money, in some of those deep core character issues because you can say, well, I'm not who I used to be, but are you who God wants you to be? So we say even in the growth of our own lives and our character development, the old's good enough. I have what I need. I've done enough. I know I'm saved. I'm walking with God. I've gotten rid of all these things. But yet the Lord is asking for more. And we say, I can't give you the more. I've already given you enough. We refuse to do that here. We will press and we will war, and we will contend, and we will fight, and we will scrap for every inch that we believe God has given us. So in my own personal journey, we moved here six years ago, almost seven now. God says, if you'll move back to Indiana, I'll restore your inheritance to you. And we've been watching that unfold. We've been seeing God do the miraculous, the powerful, the totally outside of the box from the very beginning. And here's how I feel. We've entered into the promises. We're beginning to see what God has set up for us and for this body. But how many of you know that when they got into the promised land, there were giants that were living in the land? I believe we're in a season where we're now beginning to inherit the real promises and territory that God has given us. And the work that the Holy Spirit is doing here is valid and real and authentic. And yet there are giants that are living in the land that want to slaughter us. So we're in a dog-eat-dog -dog fight where you're going to take aim and slay Goliath or Goliath's going to take hold of you. See, God oftentimes offers us something, but again, we have to partner. I told a brother a couple of weeks ago, you pray and you ask God for a hole and he gives you a shovel. He wants you to partner. He wants you to function. He wants you to wrestle. He wants you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 
so we continue to wrestle, to fight. See, God gave me three directives when we moved here. He said, Paul, I want you to feed my sheep, build my house, and slay the giants that taunt and torment my people. I believe part of the new era is beginning to take aim at the giants that taunt and torment us as the people of God. I feel like David going down into the brook and getting the five smooth stones, but I only need one of them because when we sling this thing, we're going to take Goliath down. We're going to see a generation come to Jesus. There's a bumper crop. There's an end time harvest of souls that God wants to gather up in this region and bring into healthy spiritual houses where they can grow and develop and be challenged that, hey, there's more to life than how you're currently living. Eternal life is the greatest ride you can be on to experience Christ and His fullness right here and right now. See, but the brand and the version that's out there of the gospel is just give your life to Jesus and then wait for the rapture or you know, wait for uh, Jesus to return and you can hide in a bunker somewhere. But God is after a people who are contending, who are pressing who are witnessing to lost family and friends, who are pressing the issue of eternity with all their friends and family. Why? Because there's a sense of urgency that grips us. Did the word of the Lord come this morning to wake up? You don't tell people who are awake to wake up. So I hear those words and I think, where am I sleeping? Show me where I'm slumbering. Awaken my heart with passion and zeal, with power that I've received from you that would transform all of those around me. So we wrestle, we pray, we press in week after week. We continue to seek the Lord. And then God puts what we're calling the reset. Would you say that with me? The reset. God puts the reset before me. And I begin to wrestle with the Lord. Father, what does this look like and what do you want us to do is the question. The reset, what do you mean? The reset is where we lay aside our old, where we kill what is old, where we step into the new era and what God is doing. And can I tell you, when he puts it before us, oh, we begin to wrestle, we begin to war, we begin to say, Lord, that's outside of my box. That's not outside of the box of the Bible. Okay, if it's outside of the box of the Bible, it's called heresy. Run. <laughs> but it's outside of my box, even my box. Lord, you're breaking another box. So put this slide up here, and I want to talk to you. God has asked us to reset for three weeks in the month of October. We are not going to be meeting here corporately. But let me clarify something. We are not suspending the assembly. We're just not going to do it for you. Because there is a consumerism that wants to plague you and I. There's a culture of coming and witnessing and watching something happen rather than fully participating with the Lord. So here's our calendar in the month of October. October 1st is our celebration on Saturday for the volunteers. We want you all to be there. We're going to have a, a coffee truck. We're going to have a ton of fun. Mitchell's going to go down in the water first. 
Then on the second is what we're calling our celebration Sunday, where we are going to celebrate the old wine that God has poured out because there's been a mighty work of the Holy Ghost here at this ministry. We're going to celebrate the marriages, the babies, the miracles, the healings, the transformations, the baptisms, salvations. We're going to celebrate what the Lord is doing. And then the Father has asked us to reset and to not meet corporately for three weeks. We're not suspending meeting. We're not just going to do it for you. Are you with me? And then on the 30th, we will return back here and we believe that this is the seismic shift. This is the reset that God is after for us as a ministry. Can I tell you, the Lord puts this before us and I'm like, I've never heard of this in my life. And it becomes a thing where I'm like, either I've lost my mind or God is truly speaking here. And then wouldn't you know it, the Lord is so faithful. He confirms it prophetically, not once, but twice. Through people who did not have a clue what we were even considering before the Lord. How about the one brother who gets stirred up? He says, I'm on an airplane and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon me. I can't stop thinking about you. I write this whole thing in my journal. And he says, before I share it with you, can I ask you something? What would it be like if our Father's house just didn't meet for a month? I'm like looking at him like, did you bug our house? <laughs> God confirming, God coming upon, God releasing his word to us that we might partner with him. So this is an act of obedience unto the Lord. This pushes every religious button that you can possibly push. We're not going to meet on a Sunday morning. You're taking my church away from me. No, God is beckoning us into deeper fellowship and intimacy with Him. God is calling us to grow up. It's time to seek the Lord. What are we going to do for all? We're going to seek God. You're welcome to pray, to fast, to be led of the Lord. You're welcome to follow Him and however the Holy Spirit leads you. But what we anticipate is that God is going to produce a shift in this ministry that's going to take us to new heights and where He wants us to go. Listen, we have never measured success by money and by people. So if we get back on the 30th and there's $5 in the offering plate and there's five people here, we will worship Jesus just like we did today. Because we're not looking to the wisdom of man to tell us we're a success. I want the presence of God so badly, I don't care what it costs me. I want to see the presence of the Lord transform people's lives where they could say, I was never the same. Get rid of all of this. I had an encounter with God and then I continued on in my sin. I want people to encounter the love, the grace, the mercy, the righteousness, holiness, truth of God and His Word that gathers people up where we have healthy marriages here, where we have healthy families, where we have children that aren't addicted to video games and carnality, but they know how to worship and they know the Word of God and they're telling their friends and their family about Jesus and they're causing a stir in this region. The sleepiness here is so real. If you have not heard of the Midwest malaise, now you have. Just relax, man. Take it easy. You're too serious. You're spending too much time in the Word. You're giving too much. Can you give too much of your life to God? 
Can you sacrifice? Can you outdo the sacrifice of Jesus? But we live in a culture where, oh, Lord, I'll give you what costs me nothing. Jesus gives us everything, and in response we say, how can I do the minimum? Well, you're going to take my fun away. No, as you mature in Christ, you realize this stuff that he's forbidding in my life isn't good for me. I don't need it. I don't want it. It's going to destroy me because the deceit of sin is that it makes you feel alive while you're doing it, but really you're dying inside. You're sowing death and reaping corruption upon yourself, but you say, oh, it feels good. Or my favorite, I don't feel convicted. But you can become deceived and hardened as a branding iron in your conscience where you don't even respond to the truth of God's word. You say, well, I don't feel bad about it. Well, if you're grieving the Lord, that's all that matters. This is a a reset. It's a seismic shift. Let me clarify something for you. The reset is not a change in vision. It's not a change in values. We didn't have some Joseph Smith Mormonism epiphany and now we're going to run off chasing rabbits. This ain't that. I recognize this is bold, but this is faith unto Jesus. Lord, if this is what you want, then we'll do it no matter what it costs because you're the reason why we're living. I have breath in my lungs to glorify you. It's not a change in vision. It's not a change in values, but we do feel that it's a redirection from the Lord. We feel in many ways that he is setting right again the very original purposes for which God birthed this ministry. Can I tell you there's a lot of peace in my heart about this when I'm sure some would be fretting and nervous. You know why? Because I trust that God has birthed this place. And if he's birthed it, he'll sustain it. But if we birthed it, it'll die. So this is an opportunity even to give back to the Lord. I was thinking about it. We were singing it. You can have it all. I'm like, Lord, you can have it all. It's all yours. It all belongs to you. Part of the problem in the church is ministers having ownership over the body when Jesus paid for it. When Jesus is the head of the church, control is a massive issue in the body. Control is the number one reason why the Holy Ghost doesn't move as he wants to in the church. Because we have a program and a schedule and really we have better things to do. So the reset is a strategic shift. I want you to write this down. The reset is a strategic shift. Back to kingdom culture at our Father's house. So here's what we detect. Here's what we discern by the Spirit. There's a lot of church culture here. Church culture is the antithesis of kingdom culture. What is culture? Culture is a set of shared values and beliefs. Are you with me? A culture is a set of shared values and beliefs. In the kingdom of God... There is a set of values and beliefs that are pleasing in the kingdom because they come from the king. In the kingdom, there's only one king, and it's Jesus. In the church, you can have a whole lot of people. You can have a whole lot of chefs in the kitchen. Listen, we're not free to do church however we want to. 
You're not free to just make stuff up and slap the Spirit of God on it and say, yeah, we call it church. No, God has a pattern and has a will and has a desire for His people. And if we know better, then we have to walk in it. It's a strategic shift to reestablish the kingdom culture. I need some help passing these out. I'd like everyone to get one of these today. And we're going to talk about church culture versus kingdom culture. The more volunteers I can get, the better. Church culture versus kingdom culture. Because I don't want anyone to be lost on this. So September 11th is today. We're going to spend the 18th, the 25th, and the 2nd. And we're going to be keying in on church culture versus kingdom culture. Because if the new era has everything to do with kingdom culture, and it does then we have to work hard to embrace the culture of the kingdom and the old would be to jettison church culture. I say, I'll say it again. Church culture is the antithesis of kingdom culture. They are diametrically opposed. But the tricky thing about church culture is that it has a little bit of truth in it so people buy into it, but it falls woefully short of God's best for His people. So once everyone gets one, if you have yours, would you just look at me? I know there's temptation to read it, but you've got all afternoon. You can get in the Word of God. You can prove me wrong if you're mad about it. Church culture versus kingdom culture. We laid out the leadership, the values, and the attitudes I'm only going to touch on this briefly today, but we're going to spend the next three to four weeks while we're gathered here making this shift, focusing on this reset, because what we want to see before the Lord is when we gather again on October 30th, that there would be a seismic shift, that there would be a foundational shift for us as a ministry where we're embracing the culture of the kingdom of God and we're rejecting church culture in all of its insidious forms. Are you with me this morning? So I want to give you seven reasons why we believe the reset is necessary. I understand for some this is way outside of the box. This may even upset you, and that's okay. We're willing to talk and discuss and answer questions. If I don't answer a question that you have by the end of today, I want you to send me an email. Paul, P-A-U-L, at ourfathershouseindy.com. Please feel the freedom to approach us, email us, and ask your question. We will have a time in the future where we will answer your question. You, it'll be anonymous, so make it a good one. But I want to lay out seven reasons why we believe the reset is necessary. I hope you're seeing the reset has everything to do with shifting out of church culture and coming into the culture of the kingdom. Is that much clear so far? Okay. Number one is to repent for the influence of church culture at our Father's house. Why is this necessary? Number one, we believe it's an act of repentance unto the Lord. Can I tell you that church culture's influence here starts with me? 
I have been grieving before the Lord. I have been repenting and renewing my heart and my mind. Father, I'm sorry. Because church culture falls short of God's best. And we're after a standard of righteousness and honor for Jesus. No matter how much it cuts against the grain of what is popular or even what the spirit of this age is seducing the church to believe, we want to honor Him and give Him glory. So this is an act of obedience. It's also an act of repentance. And this starts with me. Listen, in September of 2020, I was stood up by a visiting prophet and he said to me that God was calling me to cross over into the true apostolic ministry that God had given me. And in the last two years, I made a few wrong turns and I allowed church culture to influence me and I found myself up to my eyeballs in pastoral ministry. How many of you know there's a difference between shepherding and apostolic we're going to be teaching on the fivefold ministry here. I recognize that you can spend a lifetime in church and you can never hear about the ministry of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. But I will be in sin if I go to water what God has used us to plant. Because some water, some plant, God gives the increase. There's order in the church. There's grace and function through different people because God desires it to be a team where it's who cares who gets the credit so long as God gets the glory. But the modern church and church culture is built upon the personality of a person. Can we be honest? In many churches today, the pastor is the product that is consumed. You have people, that they go so far as, hey, let me know when, when you're out of town so that I can skip. If that isn't consumerism, I don't know what is. And can I tell you something? I'm just going to love you so much right now, but I have to tell you the truth. The more exposure that you have had to church culture in your life, the more difficult this reset is going to be to accept. Oh, what's the big deal? No, this stuff is a big deal to God. And it's especially a big deal when we know better. So it's an act of repentance unto the Lord. It's time to function as I have ordained. Is that not what the word said this morning? Would you turn with me to Hebrews 13? And while you're turning there, I'll share with you personally that something that is constantly echoing in my soul is a verse from Psalm 127.1. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house... The laborers labor in vain. Can you imagine the horror of giving your life to build the house of the Lord and then standing before Him and Him saying, I never built that. I believe that many churches today, God's not there and He doesn't even recognize them. You know how I know He's not there? Because the fruit of His Spirit isn't there and the demonstrations of power aren't there. Hebrews 13. Verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. 
Now, I've heard a few times people emphasize the obey your leaders thing. That's not where I'm going here. I want you to catch hold of this phrase. Those who will give an account. Did you know that in James it says that those who teach God's word will be held to a stricter judgment? You got people, that are, they're dying to teach God's word. I'm like, you're just dying for double judgment. Can't wait to share the word with others. I'm like, do you have the fear of the Lord? Have you invested the right time and the right energy into rightly dividing the word of truth that you might be proven as a workman unto God? Because that's what Paul told Timothy. Study to show yourself approved. So leaders are ones who will give an account. Listen, is, is submission to church leadership, is honor for church leadership biblical and godly and healthy? When the leadership is healthy, yes it is. But leaders are those who are called to give an account where you submit to Jesus and Jesus wants to know why did you preach what you preached? Why did you say what you said? Why did you go in this direction? I'm telling you the fear of God rules our hearts and our minds in these seasons because we're going to give an account. And I don't want to be found as a poor steward of what the Lord has done because I lack courage along the way. So it's an act of repentance. Number two, it's to receive a new wineskin for the new wine. Some will say the old is good enough. What are you doing? What you have is working. You're a success. I want God's presence. I feel a desperation in my heart for people that don't really know the Lord and for people that just quite aren't getting it. You're experiencing a taste of freedom, but real lasting transformation and liberty escapes you. I feel a burden for your walk and for your soul, for the hidden rebellion that lives within our hearts where we just at the end of the day don't want anyone to tell us what to do. Church culture thrives. Kingdom culture is ultimate submission to the Lord where we don't have an excuse not to do what He wants. To receive a new wineskin. Number three is to restore the New Testament pattern. I preached a message in North Carolina a couple of weeks ago at the Ark Fellowship about building according to the pattern. When you build according to the pattern of God's Word for His church, what happens? You get the glory of the Lord. You experience the presence and the power. Listen, presence and power follows the pattern. Is it possible that we see so little of God's presence and power in the church because we've not built according to the pattern? Because we have our own wisdom and our own ideas about church or leadership or values and you can't find them in the word of God? To restore the pattern because God calls us to build according to the pattern. Number four, to reject the deadly poison of consumerism. The idea that church is for you and that church is about us as people is the influence of consumerism. That's what church culture is built upon. Come and consume something. 
Come and experience our church service. How many mailers have I got in my mailbox that are inviting me to an event and the name Jesus or God or the Bible aren't even on the mailer? This is the kind of stuff that gets me stirred up. Like I want to send out a mailer that says, if you want to repent of your sins and live a life pleasing to the Lord, meet us at this place and we will pray until you experience breakthrough. We will disciple you and love you into the kingdom of God because we actually love your soul, not just putting you in a seat and don't forget to tithe. The entertainment monster that the bride of Christ has become where she's a whore and she's hungry for money and attention. God is dealing with such things in the earth in this hour. God is restoring His church back to who she was always intended to be. But we have to reject consumerism. Oh, I didn't get fed. Nobody said hi to me. All of this says it's about me. I'm here for me. I'm here to get my needs met. What if we come to worship Jesus and to honor Him and in serving Him and exalting Him and dying to ourselves, all of a sudden all those preferences begin to fade away. Listen, I've been told my ideas are romantic. They're theatrical. They're nonsensical. They're impossible. You can't have a you can't grow a church with two hour services. I'm like, well, how about three? How about we just gather up and honor the Lord? And if God's presence is really there, then people will come. You can skip church so easily because either God's presence isn't there or you don't have a revelation of your function in the kingdom and in the body. You don't understand that when you're missing, everyone else is missing out because it's about other people, not you. When I leave on a Sunday, I leave exhausted because I've poured out before the Lord, but I'm so satisfied. I don't want to leave full. Man, I got a whole bunch of stuff today. And I did it again the week before and after that and after that and... That's the language of consumerism. That's the influence upon the values of the church that God doesn't recognize. Let me read you this quote here. You guys still with me? The sad truth is that if you make God the primary attraction in your local church, you may lose people who currently attend. However, if the church is a people gathered around the person of God, is it really worth all the effort we expend to keep people involved who are not fascinated by God and do not really want to orient their lives around beholding His beauty? Is it possible we are actually hindering the growth of our local churches by not being willing to separate from people who do not see God as the main attraction? Somebody say that won't preach. 
as church planning as a game. Look at the statistics and the demographics and go gather up as many people as possible and make sure you don't offend them because we got to keep you here. And that's how you water down the gospel. And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Number five is to raise the standard of righteousness. I believe God is turning up the heat in this place about living a righteous life before the Lord. Can we make holiness popular again? Church culture, you love God with your lips. Kingdom culture, you love God with your lifestyle. Your lips come with your lifestyle. But when you're in the church, as we have people, I, I don't, I don't want to come because I'll feel convicted. I like it in a bigger place where I can sit in the back. This is consumerism. This is a cancer that's upon the bride. And God is extracting and performing surgery upon his church. And he's calling us higher. People should feel uncomfortable if they're living in sin. Perhaps the people around you in your life that are living in sin, they're so comfortable around you because you're so quiet. Listen, your old friends can become your new friends if you win them to Jesus. But if they're not coming, love them well, but say, hey, listen, light and darkness don't have anything in common. I want to see you walk in freedom. See, the best thing that you can do for the lukewarm people in your life is to burn hot for Jesus Christ. That is the best thing that you and I can do is to live totally sold out for the Lord and set an example. Listen, church culture is, well, you know, I, I go to a lukewarm church, but my kids like the ball crawl. How about discipling your children at home and disciplining them and leading them and showing them what it means to really follow Jesus? If a child grows up and thinks that life is all about him, he is destined for failure. But we feed self-absorption and self-consumption and self-pity and we cater to the lowest common denominator when God has called us to uphold the standard of righteousness. This is what it means to follow Jesus because this is what he said. And when I fall short, I repent and I get back up and serve the Lord. Because we're all going to be left without an excuse. We're all going to stand before Jesus, the judge of the living and the dead. And we're going to give an account for every word we said and for every action in this life. You won't get to stand with your spouse. You won't get to blame her one last time for why you coulda, woulda, shoulda, bro. You won't get to blame mommy and daddy. You won't get to bring up your abuser. You will get to say, Lord, I'm fully responsible. And he'll judge us in perfection. And while we're here, Allow me to say that repentance is not a feeling. Repentance is not tears. Repentance is a change in lifestyle. It's measurable. It's tangible. 
It's perceptible. When I repented of my sin, I came out of it and I stepped into the kingdom of light. So if I used to be a liar, I can't keep lying. I've got to learn to tell the truth and not just tell the truth, love the truth. That's real repentance and real transformation. Repentance equals fruit. There has to be fruit. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, John the Baptist said. Number six. The reset is necessary to release those who are not truly called to our Father's house. We believe this is a time for each and every person and family to seek the Lord and to ask God, Is our Father's house where you have called me and my family? Because if you can answer that question, yes, then you can step into covenant family and relationship that brings real transformation. Not where we get upset or offended and we run the minute that something doesn't go our way or we get offended. I believe it was prophesied it's time to come off the fence. It's time to seek the Lord together as a family. It's time to go to war together. Enough with the lone rangers. We war together. We eat together. We live together before God. We serve one another. We honor one another. We put one another first. That Jesus would be glorified. That the world would step into this place living a selfish life and go, what in the world? There's a bunch of people dead to their own desires? You actually think that someone else is more important than you? If in this time of the reset, and I hope, I'm asking that you would stick around through September and make your decision during the reset. But all we ask is that if you feel led in another direction, that you would communicate with leadership so that we can bless you and release you and provide a gracious exit. That's our desire. That way we know because we do love you and we do care about you. And part of the reset is we are increasing Over time, our intentionality to shepherd and disciple and care because Proverbs 27 commands the shepherds to know well the condition of their flock. Guys, we take this seriously because we're going to give an account to Jesus. So it's necessary to release those who are not truly called. Do you think there's one more? You've been around my preaching enough. Number seven. It's just how God speaks to me, all right? Number seven is to rest in God's presence and promises. We're setting it all back before the Lord. Again, we believe that God has birthed this place, so we trust Him. Father, whatever you want, if a reset is what you need to do your thing, if a reset is necessary to oust church culture, to reveal it, expose it, and to call us and provoke us into the culture of God's kingdom, then we'll say yes, because Jesus, you always have our yes. It's a time of strategic rest before the Lord, to seek Him, to park our hearts in His presence, and to allow Him to nourish and cherish and wash us. 
if you really have the itch, I'll be preaching again at the Ark on October 9th. You can drive to North Carolina and meet us there. We'll have a great time. We'll also be in Georgia on Sunday, October 23rd. Come have a good time with us. But we're also going to rest before God and seek Him for refreshment and for new vision. Father, what does the new era mean? Because I believe there's still more. The word of the Lord is multifaceted. The word of the Lord is far-reaching. Did you know Paul told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith according to the prophecies made concerning you? So what are the words that God has spoken over your life? Are you fighting the good fight of faith with them? See, the word of the Lord is supposed to be like stones in our sling where we have them and we have them ready and we war and we remind the enemy who God is and who we are in Christ. Lastly, turn with me to Exodus 33. I want to make a few more comments about rest. And again, if you have questions, if I've not been clear enough, yes, there are still things we're praying through, seeking, following the Lord about. And I will share more of those in the weeks ahead. But this is our reset primer. Exodus 33, verse 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you did say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know who you will send with me. Moreover, you've said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Moses is praying over the nation of Israel. Now listen to this. And God said, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. This has been our prayer. Father, if your presence isn't going to go with us, then don't lead us into this. Stop us, put the brakes on it, but this is the Lord. For how then can it be known that I found favor in your sight, me and the people? Is it not by you going with us, so that we, I, and your people may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? Did you know that rest distinguishes God's children. The rest of God. Somebody needs to read Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4. I know I do. The Lord came to me in a dream and rebuked me and told me to read it. So I'm just passing it along to you. You have to strive and labor to enter into the rest of God. To park your heart in such a way in his presence where you release control. Control is a huge issue. Control ruins marriages and ruins families. Control undealt with from a legitimate trauma has the power to wreck your life. Rest is to distinguish us and we believe that rest is going to distinguish this ministry especially in this season. 
We're resting in His promises. We're resting in His presence. We're resting as we're resetting before the Lord and as God comes and adjusts and convicts and inspires and encourages and corrects all that He wants to do for us. This is our effort to follow the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. They were in the wilderness. My presence will go with you. How did God's presence go with them? He appeared as a pillar of cloud by day and then fire at night. We believe this is what the Lord is leading. We believe this is a right and appropriate, appropriate and biblical response to the word of the Lord that he's calling our father's house to step into a new era. Would you stand with me? And I want to invite you this morning to receive communion. And we believe this is what the Lord is after. Now that you've heard this and you've been stirred and you know what God has been speaking to us as a leadership team, we want to ask if you would receive communion this morning and you would gather with your family if you came with your family or by yourself or with a friend if you came with a friend, however you feel led of the Lord. But we're asking that you would seek the Lord and ask God, what does the new era look like for me personally and then for us as a family? We've discussed what it will look like corporately, and we will share more details in the weeks ahead. But we want to invite you this morning to receive communion together and to pray and to ask the Lord, if God is pouring out new wine, then we believe that the body and blood of the Lord Jesus this morning is to provoke each and every person. And if you need to go, please feel released. God bless you. But I want to invite you up right now. Just come down the middle and then you can exit out the sides. Come receive the body and blood of Jesus. And pray by yourself or with your family. And ask the Lord, what does the new era and the new wineskin look like for me? And how can I partner with you? Because I believe there are drastic changes. There are strategic shifts in people's lives. I know that some of you have moved across the state or across the nation to be a part of this community. This is a presence-based ministry. We are building upon the presence of the Lord. And He's going to speak. And He's going to come in this moment and begin to reveal some shifts that need to take place. I feel in my heart right now that some of us, your shift is getting vocal. You have been silenced by the lies of the enemy for too long. You have been talked out of God's best for your life because you've chosen to shut up rather than speak up. And God is reversing that in this moment and in this season that the new era is about you finding your voice. It's about you making a choice to give everything to the Lord. Father God, would you come and stir us right now? Lord, we want to receive a new wineskin today. We want to repent for church culture's influence. Father, I'm sorry. I want to walk with you. I want to surrender to you in a new and a fresh way. Father, we ask that you would come and bring conviction even as we approach this reset time. 
Lord, we're asking for the shift that you want us to make, that we would be a hungry people that partners with you, that allows you to speak, that allows you to move afresh.